Hi, thank you for listening to Kingdom Exhortations. This teaching is a continuation of the last one. This will be part two of the teaching in John 4 about the woman at the well. This teaching is a little shorter. John only goes over seven verses here. But even in these seven verses, there is still so much that Jesus wants to teach us. Well, good morning, and welcome to this part two of the teaching of the woman at the well. It's actually going to be a three-part teaching that goes from John chapter 4, verses 4, all the way to 42. So it's 38 verses. The second part should be a little shorter, but it's, it's pretty exciting. So let's get right into it. As you recall, as we left off, the conversation Jesus is having with the woman, uh, it gets to a point where he tells her to go call her husband. She quickly responds that she has no husband. And Jesus has led her down this path. He could have done a hundred different things, but he chose to lead her down this path to challenge her about this aspect that she's had five husbands and now she's with a man that's not her husband. What we see here is that in verse 19, the whole countenance of the woman changes. She goes from having a contrary spirit, she's disrespectful, she's, she's antagonistic, and she, she almost turns on a dime in verse 19 and says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. That's verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And she says this in response to Jesus and Jesus has set her up here. When she asked him for this water, Jesus says, go call your husband, knowing that she's had five husbands, obviously, and knowing that she's now with a man that's not her husband. And so he knows that what she's going to respond. What's important here is that the woman now has sight that she didn't have before. Before, she just thought he was any other man. But with this insight into her life and in the... In the and the nature of the insight is paramount. He challenges her on an area of her life that's, that's biblically out of place. That she's had five husbands and now she's living in immorality with a man that's not her husband or adultery. Oftentimes, very oftentimes, Jesus wants to get our attention. And the only way we can come to an ultimate healing is if we acknowledge the areas of our life that are, that are out of line. And it's interesting that Jesus goes to this in a very forward manner. Oftentimes in ministry, we want to avoid the topic of sin, or uh, we have reservations about talking to people about the areas of their life that are out of place. But Jesus cuts right to the heart here. He, he goes right to the place in this woman's life that's, that's out of place. And he wants to do the same with us today. If we have areas of our life, and surely we do, that we're not walking in an upright way biblically, Jesus wants to do the same thing with us today. He wants to bring them to the forefront of our mind. He wants to bring them out in the open so that we can see them and so that we can repent. 
And he gets this woman's attention and her entire attitude changes when he calls out her sin. And now she has sight that she didn't have before. One of the greatest ways to grow in your intimacy with Jesus, one of the greatest ways to experience his love, one of the greatest ways to have a more meaningful relationship with him is repentance. The areas of our lives that are not in line biblically, that when we take time to repent and go before God and really ask for forgiveness for what's out of line, it will almost immediately bring us closer to the Father. Not almost, it does bring us closer to the Father. Verse 19, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So again, her attitude changes, and now she has an attitude of, of respect. She's still hurt, she's still grieved, but she has eyes that see now what she hadn't seen before. And if we will, we will begin to deal with the sin in our lives, and as ministers, if if we'll be willing to, to lovingly talk to people about the sin in their life with a heart that they would repent, we will grow closer to Christ and we'll help others grow closer to him. Sir, the woman said, I can see. She now has eyes that see that, that uh, she didn't have before. Verse 20, she's still, she's still hurt. Again, you're, uh, the racial tensions are still here. We said in the first teaching that we have an amazing example of Jesus here who doesn't pay any heed to the racial tensions of his day. He won't entertain them because they do no good at all. This woman is consistently bringing up the conflict between uh, Jews and Samaritans, Samaritans and Jews, how they don't speak, how they don't get along, how they have nothing to do with each other. And Jesus won't entertain any of that. It ought to be the same with us today. We ought to pay no heed at all to our racial indifferences. We ought to love right through them. Whatever indifferences people have, we ought to labor to love them in spite of the indifferences, in spite of the anger, in spite of the bitterness. Verse 20, the woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, Jesus is not going to have, is not going to take the bait. He's going to love her through the racial tension and ultimately, this woman's going to come to a tremendous healing, and she's going to be the evangelist that Jesus uses to lead this whole town to Christ, as we're going to see unfold in the next teaching. The verse 20 is, uh, is quite powerful. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus answered to this, verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. There's a few things here to really unpack, but the first thing we see is that worship is not dependent on your geography. For many of us, worship is tied to when we go to church and when we, when we sing, and that's certainly a wonderful thing. But worship is not tied to your geography. It doesn't matter whether you're on the mountain. It doesn't matter whether you're in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter whether you're in your car. It doesn't matter whether you're in your home. It doesn't matter whether you're on vacation. It doesn't matter whether you're at church. Worshiping God is not tied to your geography or where you are. Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 22 is interesting. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Many of us today, if not most of us in the church, all around the world, this could really be said of us today. Uh, Jesus is saying to us, you Americans worship what you do not know. You Europeans worship what you do not know. You Asians worship what you do not know. Uh, You Africans worship what you do not know. We often worship in a way that's frankly in ignorance. Jesus says, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. It's notable that Jesus says that genuine worship has to start with salvation. The only way that any of us can worship God is if we are first saved through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, uh, sometimes we're shy to say that in the church today, and it's, you know, it's not a fun thing to say, but you cannot worship God at all unless you're a Christian. Now, you know, we don't like that, but this is what the Bible teaches, that it's not until you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Today, if you're not sure that you're a Christian, this day, right now, you can pray to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I do confess that I'm a sinful person, and I do believe that you're the Son of God. You can pray, Jesus, I ask you this day to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Jesus, I place all my faith and my trust and my reliance in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. If you pray that and you mean it, you'll become a Christian. And as a Christian, you're now a child of God. God is your Father. The Spirit of God has come to live in you, the Spirit of Jesus. And now you can actually worship what you know. You can worship God as your Father. Verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. These are some very famous verses. It says clearly here that the only acceptable worship to God is a kind of worship that's in what Jesus calls in spirit and in truth. So let's unpack that. What does he mean when he says, he says the time has come and it's here right now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So the first question we have to ask is, what is worship? Again, for most of us, worship is something we do in church on Sunday, and certainly that can be worship. Now, going to church on Sunday and and singing songs is not in itself worship, okay? So worship, I'm going to define here, is, is anything we do with our heart or our mind set to God our Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. So genuine worship is when a Christian, someone who's one with Jesus, has any intentionality or thought or heart to put their mind on Christ, to put their mind on your heavenly Father, that you might think about him, that you might consider him, that you might honor him, that you might thank him, that you might obey him, 
or that you might repent for areas of your life where you haven't obeyed him. All of these things are genuine worship. When you turn your spirit toward God for any reason at all, if you invite him into your day, into your heart, into a particular situation, any time of genuine prayer when you're seeking him, if you're standing in church and your heart is really turned toward him, and you're meaningfully singing the songs that you're singing, thinking about the words, thinking about your life in light of them, you're in genuine worship. So again, worship is done in everything we do. Everything we do can be an act of worship. Now, for most of us, I consistently have times in my life today, regrettably, where I'm worshiping amiss. Verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Regrettably, oftentimes much of our worship is not in spirit and in truth, but it can be in in our flesh and in deception. It can be the opposite. Worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth, but much of our worship can be soulish worship or we can it can be in our flesh, so it's not genuine worship. Worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. We can't worship in our flesh or out of our soul, and we certainly can't worship in deception. So it has to have these two qualities to be genuine worship. Jesus said it has to be in spirit and in truth. So what does that mean, that it must be in spirit? To genuinely worship God, you have to worship him with your spirit. And as we said earlier, the, the first and foremost quality to worship at all is that you're a Christian. The Bible says that a Christian has been uh, what's called born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus in the previous chapter, unless a person be born again, he cannot see or understand the, the things of the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused. He thinks Jesus is talking about the natural things. And we often have this problem. Jesus is consistently speaking about spiritual things, but we're always looking at the natural. Jesus says, I'm not talking, Nicodemus, about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. And what this means is that when we're born into this world, we're born naturally alive. We're physically alive. We have a body that's alive. And our soul is alive. Uh, your soul what makes up your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So when you come into this world, you have a soul that's alive and you have a physical body that's alive, but your spirit is dead to God. Your spirit is the core of who you are. It's your heart. It's your center. And your spirit is dead to God because you were born with a sinful nature that you received from your father and him from his father and all the way back to Adam. So human beings come into this world naturally alive, but they're spiritually dead. Their spirit is dead to God. The only way to have your spirit alive, the only way to have a, a live spirit is to be born again. And the only way to be born again is to ask Jesus to come into your heart, to be the Lord of your life, to save you from your sin. When you do this, the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit comes into your spirit and joins himself to your spirit and you become alive spiritually as the Holy Spirit of God becomes one with your spirit. At this time, you become part of the body of Christ, right? Because you're one with the Spirit of God and you're also part of the bride of Christ. 
you are one with Jesus spiritually, so you're married to him spiritually. You and him are one as a husband and wife are one in marital intimacy. You and Jesus are one spiritually when you ask him to come into your heart. Now, when you ask Jesus into your heart and his spirit, the Holy Spirit joins himself to your spirit, your spirit explodes with life. Your spirit that was dead because of your sinful nature now becomes alive in just a remarkable explosion of life. And you are now not only naturally alive, but you're spiritually alive. Now, in this state of spiritual life, you can now properly worship God in spirit. Only spirits that are alive in Christ can properly worship God in spirit. You're in community with the Holy Spirit. You're joined with the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, you can now worship God. You can worship him with right thoughts. You can worship him with a proper heart. You can worship him with proper adoration. You can worship him with proper obedience. You can worship him with proper reflection. You can now worship him with proper repentance. Your spirit, alive and one with Jesus, now has eyes that see and ears that hear and a true alive heart that can now worship God properly. So the first quality of proper worship is to worship in spirit. You can't worship from your flesh and be pleasing to God, and we can't worship out of our soul. Soulish worship doesn't please him. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The next quality is to worship in truth. There is no worship that's absent truth. In John 8, Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Proper worship can and will only be received by God if it's done in truth. What does that mean? Our Heavenly Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, does not move in any way and at any time in pretense. I've said before, in my opinion, the single most important virtue of any Christian is authenticity. And the reason for that, again, in my opinion, is our Heavenly Father will not move in pretense. If you and I are fake, if we're insincere, if we're consistently pretentious, God will not move an inch. He can't do it. It's against his nature to move if you're coming to him and you're not being sincere, if you're not a real person, if your prayers are not genuine, if your worship is just, you know, is just a, an object to pass time, if you're doing it with a heart just because it's just what you do, if your heart is not turned toward him, the single most important quality to begin with in any Christian is being real. Many of us assume that we're, we're real and genuine when, frankly, we are not. We live our lives almost entirely in pretense. When we talk to people, we were consistently guarded. We share only what we want them to know. We don't want them to know who we truly are. We project ourselves as we want to be seen as opposed to who we truly are. And the key to this is you cannot pretend in all your human relationships and then just decide that you're going to be sincere with God. I want to make that clear. I hope that makes sense. We have this idea that we can be consistently guarded. 
we can hide things, we can be secretive, we can be insincere, we can be pretentious, we can be disingenuine with people all around us, but then we can just turn it on and be genuine with God. And it doesn't work that way. To the extent that you are genuine and authentic and sincere with others, whoever it is, it could be people at work, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your family, to the extent that you walk in a sincere and genuine and authentic relationship with people, will you be able to walk in an authentic relationship with God? So in my opinion, this is a huge area of repentance for us. Because oftentimes I find that I am not as sincere as I ought to be. I'm not as authentic. So when you worship God, genuine worship must come in the truth. You need to come to God. And for example, if you're singing in church and you're singing a worship song of how much you love him. Well, in my heart, when I'm singing how much I love you, God, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Father, how much do I really spend time in thinking about you and loving you in any form of tangible love? And sometimes I'm singing worship songs that are proclaiming this incredible devotion that I have to God when the truth is that hasn't been the pattern of my life. So I'm not worshiping in truth. Hence, it's not genuine worship. Now, if in that time I consider and I say, Father, I'm grieved because this is what I want my devotion to be. So I actually have a time of introspection. And out of that, really my heart is repentant that I want to worship him in this way, in a consistent way. Well, then that would be true worship. So worship must be authentic. It must be genuine. It must be in the truth. There is no worship that's absent truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. So this powerful saying, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Lord Jesus, help us to do that today. Help us to, to truly worship you on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, to worship you in our spirit not in our flesh or in our soul, and help us to come to you just in truth, Lord. Just come as we are into worship, into what's true. So we want to be true worshipers, Jesus said, because that's the only worshipers that the Father seeks. Finishing up, the woman goes on to say, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us, She doesn't really understand everything he's saying here. But as we said in the last teaching, that she is waiting on the Messiah to come. Her theology is correct. God had given his word through the entire Old Testament that a Messiah, a Savior, would come. And she was saved, as everyone in the Old Testament was saved, by putting their faith in the word of God that was to come. She had faith in the Messiah that would come. She was looking forward to the cross In the new covenant, you and I have put our faith in the Messiah that has come. Our faith is in the word of God that has already come. We look back to the cross. So as we said in the first teaching, the same cross saves us all. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. And as I said before, this has to be, it's almost a heart-stopping sentence. 
She begins this time with him in a way that's contrary and disrespectful, frustrated. He asked her for a drink at the beginning of this. He still doesn't have his drink all the way through this conversation. And we, again, we just see these incredible qualities of Jesus to get to this point. How did Jesus get to this point with this woman? Well, the first and most important thing is that he wasn't offended. He wasn't offended by the racial tensions. He wasn't offended by her jabs of her consistently saying, you Jews. He was able to love her in spite of her. When she did not and still has not given him his drink, when he did not get what he wanted, he was still able to give her what she needed. And that quality is something that uh, all of us should aspire to. Are we able to love people enough that when they're not willing to help us or bless us, we're still willing to love them and to bless them? Again, there's so much to be learned here. So the next teaching will be the final teaching. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for the word of God. We thank you for this, just this teaching, Lord. We thank you for this teaching of the woman at the well. Jesus, uh, we ask you to forgive us for truly our behavior is certainly more like the woman much of the time than it is like, like yours. So Lord Jesus, we ask you to help us, Lord, to emulate you when we see how you lived here, when we see how you spoke, when we see the disposition that you had, when we see that you are clearly unoffendable, Lord, Lord, just the stoic manner in which you, you handle yourself here, Lord, where you're, you don't respond, you know, you don't react to things, Lord. You deliberately act in the woman's best interest, Lord, instead of acting in, in uh, just agitation and frustration at her, you know, at her disrespect. Lord, just help us to be people like this. And Father, we do ask you to help us to worship in spirit and in truth. We ask you to convict us when our worship is, is out of our flesh or out of our soul. And, and forgive us, Lord, just at any times where we're not living in truth, when we're not speaking in truth, Lord, when we have a lifestyle that's, that's deceptive or insincere or fake or disingenuine. Father, I just ask you to convict us that we might truly worship you moment by moment, day by day, as well as in church, and that we might worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, help us not to be limited by our geography. Help us to worship wherever we are, Lord. Help us to put our mind toward you, Lord Jesus, toward you, our Heavenly Father, toward you, Holy Spirit, in whatever we're doing. Help us to worship you by making you a part of it, by intentionally considering you, obeying you, or repenting where we've fallen short. Father, we love you and we thank you. We commit all this into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Exhortations. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.